Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Derek Jeter! This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to... A Monday edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast. I'm Adam Weiner, alongside Thomas Carinante. We can't quite call it a victory podcast, but winning two out of three against the Boston Red Sox. Last time I checked to open the season, it's a series win. Two wins, better than one loss. Last night's loss was annoying, but it wasn't particularly devastating. If it was devastating to you, you might want to examine what a 162-game season feels like. Try to relearn that. Would it have been nice if the Yankees had come through a few more times with the in scoring position? Yeah, they could have won 7-4. Or 8-4. Did they win the first two games of the series and make a statement to start the year? Absolutely, yes. And that means we're going to be doing early season overreactions. First impressions, who do we love? Who do we hate? Who do we know everything we need to know about? After just three games, again, the Yankees won two of them. That's a 667 winning percentage. Only one team is currently perfect, and that's the Tampa Bay Rays. And they played the Baltimore Orioles in the opening series at home in case they needed that extra level of advantage. So, can't do much better than two and one. Only one team did. And again, it was the team that faced the Orioles. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review along with a mailbag queue. We will be more than happy to answer it. Thomas Carinante, first of all, happy birthday. Second of Thank all, you. welcome to the podcast. Uh, you were in the stands for Sunday night's loss. Uh, how did that feel? Because the other games were were better. Yeah, Uh a good old uh, birthday present gone wrong. No, it was a great time. Um, buddy got me tickets. We sat in left field, um, and they were just chanting fuck Verdugo the entire time. Uh, it was pretty funny. He just kept nodding at the crowd, uh, putting his glove up. Uh, funny guy he is. Um, but the energy. I'm only gonna, yeah, I'm, I'm only going to say this one time at the top of the podcast and never again. Uh, Red Sox fans like to trip the Yankees about our oldest Chapman, who yeah. we hate, who we don't like. He's on the roster, and we hate him. Alex Verdugo, you love. You love, Red Sox fans, you love Alex Verdugo. Incredibly accused of uh, sitting in a room while a woman was raped by Dodgers prospects. I don't know. Great. It's it's easily Googleable. So moving along, Dodgers buried that. Dodgers are kind of scummy. Um, I think we could. I think that that's that's another theme here because they they covered up the Puig stuff mm-hmm. um, among other things. Um, so no thank you to all of that. Uh, energy no. at the stadium was great. Um, got a new hat. Uh, it was twenty percent off if you paid with a Mastercard. Uh, pretty cool, um, but uh, yeah, people were rowdy. It was it was great. It was like just the the perfect level of rowdy you would want. Um, and class, it was a classic. I got to see a classic Yankees loss, a classic twenty twenty one loss where you get a million fucking base runners and you don't cash in on any of the opportunities. And like the two one or two opportunities that do cash in, the stadium erupts and you're just begging for one more. You just give me one one more hit. One more, put one over the fence. Like this place, the lid is about to blow off. This place mm-hmm. never came through. Very disappointing bottom of the ninth. But look, those first two comebacks that we saw on Friday and Saturday mm-hmm. didn't happen that early in the season last year. Probably didn't start happening until what, July or August? You didn't see that kind mm-hmm. of 
you didn't see that kind of resiliency from the Yankees until mid to late in the season last year. So um, that was my biggest positive of the entire series. Um, the Red Sox had to literally pour out every last bit of energy and sweat that they had to pull out a 4-3 victory to avoid a sweep. So I view that as a moral victory. Uh, funny Red Sox fans talking shit after the win. Um, it's just funny how this world operates. I don't understand anything or anybody anymore. They really um, were, too. They really were yeah. talking shit after the win. And, like, I'm just imagining the world where Yankee fans talk shit after winning one game in a three-game series against the Red Sox by one, hanging on by the skin of your teeth, Jake Diekman is your closer. And then after that, peacocking, like, yeah, like, statement made. No, st- the statement that was made was that you're not as good as the New York Yankees at this point. You're decent, yeah. but you're not as good as the Yankees. No, and... um the Yankees top to bottom, we saw we saw the positives. We saw who we saw that Anthony Rizzo is probably gonna be more impactful than mm-hmm. most people really anticipated. Um I was one of the people on the Yankees for not signing either uh not signing Freddie Freeman or trading for Matt Olson. I did like Anthony Rizzo as the plan C, um, but I thought another impact move needed to be made um before that Josh Donaldson trade. Um and uh, Rizzo, I think a full season of Rizzo, people kind of swept it under the rug. They weren't really thinking like, oh, this guy is the, what, 135 OPS plus for his career or something. It's like something up there where it's like he's had really good seasons for the majority of his career outside of like the shortened 2020. And that was like it. Um, and we downplayed his potential impact, I, I think. Um, obviously it's an overreaction to think that this production is going to come Mm -hmm. as frequently as, as we're going to probably be accustomed to, but you can't ask for a better start. You can't ask for a better spark plug, especially when Aaron judge really didn't do much this series. He had a couple of hits, but like none of them were meaningful. Um, you look down the rest of the lineup, Joey Gallo, not great. Um, but I think that was kind of to be expected. We don't, we, no one was really sitting here thinking that he was going to wake up out of whatever had happened to him last year. Um, and during the second half with us, Aaron Hicks, also not great, but what are you going to do? He's coming off those injuries. He still hasn't had consistent playing time. It's going to take time uh, to the point where Yankees fans convinced themselves that now they want Brett Gardner back because Aaron Hicks had eight at bats that they didn't entirely approve of, which I agree with. They were really bad at bats, but if you, you were just complaining the entire offseason about how you don't want Brett Gardner back because it would not be it, it would not be a winning move. It would not be indicative of taking the next level and or taking it to the next level and actually leveling up against your opponents. Um, a lot of quiet Isaiah Connor Falefa, not a great weekend debut, shaky defense, essentially no offense. He had one hit. Um, so it was great. And well, I mean, we'll talk about John Carlos Stanton later, the biggest positive of the team, probably still mashing against the Red Sox, but um, I think Rizzo is a good talking point. Great defense at first base, um, which is what this team has been wanting based on them getting rid of Luke Voigt. That was, that was one of the one of the main driving points to get that deal done. Um, and his leadership. Talk uh, Ron Marinaccio uh, kind of off the ledge after he worked, uh, walked the first batter in his debut. Mm-hmm. So overall, Anthony Rizzo, I think, and we think, is going to be a very, very positive signing for this team um for this entire season and I think he's going to play himself into another contract he's going to opt out after the year yeah I don't even have a lot of negatives to address and I, I think no. a lot of I think maybe entering 2021 coming off 2020 I would be a little bit more furious because I felt like we were robbed of a season 
We were supposed to have Garrett Cole for 162. We had him for 10 starts, and then we played these empty stadium playoffs, and everybody was like, 2021 will be different, full season Cole, et cetera, and then they show up and just look completely flat. Yeah. So uh, game three was the norm. Like, I, I don't even think game three of this series where they blew some opportunities was the norm necessarily from last year because if Aaron Hicks doesn't grind into that double play, if Aaron Hicks doesn't turn a 3-0 count to 3-1 and pop out with runs on second and third one out, if he if he singles or hits a sack fly in either of those situations, the Yankees win the game. Um, doesn't even have to be both. Like, the difference in that game was razor thin. It wasn't like the Yankees lost 2 nothing to the Rays and left 13 men on base and went 0-12 for 12 with the Rays in scoring position. They were 3-11, for 11 and Hicks failed twice. So it's really like... Uh, they were an Aaron Hicks single away from winning all three games. And this was three games, three comebacks down three, nothing in the first with no outs. They tie and win the game, tie the game twice, three times because of the ghost runner three times. Uh, Saturday down two Oh, in the blink of an eye, it's totally okay. Luis Severino looks great. It gives up a home run to Alex Verdugo. Um, they don't give up any more runs, tie the game on a Rizzo bomb, tie, take the lead on a stand bomb, win the game. Sunday night, they're down 2 nothing in the first. Jordan Montgomery gets a ball lined off his leg. More disaster. Montgomery stays in, doesn't allow another run. The Yankees go down 3-1 on some dinky garbage. And then, you know, runner reaching base on a strikeout swinging, which is the worst rule in baseball. Um, and they tie that game right up because Anthony Rizzo again. So the Yankees punch back three times in three games, lose Sunday by a razor's edge against the Red Sox, a team that has, again, owned them in recent years. Um, no, not 2020 when the Red Sox intentionally tanked to get a top five pick and got it. Weirdly, not 2019, which is pretty cool. But last year, the Red Sox made a lot of annoying statements against the Yankees. 2018, the Red Sox obviously ran train on the whole league. 2017, you know, every year the season series ends up roughly even. But some of the losses the Red Sox have dealt the Yankees have just been horrifically painful in recent years. Uh, especially last year when they reeled off just a, a monster start to the season. Something like 7-0, 10-1 or something like that. It was awful. Um so they come back three times in three days and lose the last one by the contributions of Aaron Hicks, basically. Fine with me. It's Anthony Rizzo fueling the comeback three times. The home run in the first inning of opening day. The home run in the fourth inning of the second game uh, to basically the same spot. And the two-run single after nobody could catch anybody in in uh, you know yesterday's proceedings to tie the game at three. Uh, with Kike Hernandez on the mic, by the way, keep him on the mic forever. It, it, that would be very helpful because all he did was uh, rattle off uh, complaints whine about how it was cold and how, you know, uh, his bullpen, if they gave up a hit, he was going to throw the guy out at the plate. And spoiler alert, you didn't. You can throw out Jose Trevino. So best of luck to you moving forward. Uh, wear the mic next week from your couch. We'd love to hear from you again, uh, your mid-game thoughts. So insightful. Kike Hernandez has officially reached the scale of whether he says anything interesting or not. People are just going to quote tweet it with like Kike on the mic was everything. No, it wasn't. He wasn't interesting at all yesterday. Completely boring. You guys were just ready to retweet that no matter what he said. He absolutely said nothing of note. Oh, hilarious. He said, do you think you guys think I'm going to go O for the season? That's so funny. No one else could have done that. Uh, Kike, <laughs> the best. Um, he hit 250 last year. But it's Rizzo three times. And the uncredited save of Ron Marinaccio, first and second, no outs, ball one to Bobby Dalbeck. Two-nothing two game. This game could get away in a matter of minutes. The Yankees are, you know, you talk about punt lineups, but putting a rookie into a, a fourth-inning situation in game two of the season where, you know, there's no margin for error. It's like when they put Clark Schmidt in with second and third one out or whatever. It's like, best of luck, kid. Yeah. Um, you know, either he sinks or swims, and I guess game two isn't the worst time to be doing that, but from Aaron Boone, it's, 
a huge signal of like if it just goes wildly off the rails and it's seven nothing by the Red Sox at the end of the inning, he's just like, well, you know, wanted to get the kid in. It's like, okay, well, did that help anybody? Um, and he looks like he's going to absolutely lose it. Rizzo comes in and talks to him, gets Dalbeck swinging over a change. Uh, next out is a great play up the middle by Glaber. Glaber second base, great play. Uh, so far through three games, not mad at Glaber. Opposite field double off the wall, game tying sack fly in the first game, not mad at Glaber. Yeah. Um, and then he gets uh, Christian Vasquez looking at a perfect slider. Marinacci yeah. is showing off three pitches. Uh, as soon as Rizzo's done with him, he ticks the corner with the you know the two seamer. Gets that uh, gets that curve, that slider slurve guy in there and gets Dalbeck swinging over the top of the changeup. So we can pivot that to Marinaccio discussion because um, it's all pot. Look, 13, 30 in all positives. Um, you're not you're not going to win this week with me, just like last week after the final four. If you were going to do like, yo, Carolina, biggest choke ever. It's like you're not going to win with me today. They, they beat Duke twice. You know, they, they would it have been nice for them to win the final. Yes, I would have enjoyed a championship, but. There's like one healthy dude on the roster and they almost beat every team in America except for one. So you're not going to win with me. You're not going to win with me this time either if you're coming in all cocky, if you're a Boston fan being like, we got one, Jake Diekman, closer to the future. It's like, yeah, I would have liked to have swept, but I am not leaving this one upset. I'm enthusiastic about almost everybody I saw. And and is Ron Marinaccio now after 105 strikeouts and like 60-something innings last year, we've heard so many times that such and such is the bullpen arm of the future. Other teams, it feels like, call bullpen arms up all the time. They immediately look exactly the same way they did at double and triple A. And the Yankees do it, and they just look scared. They look skittish. Stephen Ridings last year, the rare exception. Marinaccio, again, so far, all it took was one batter and an Anthony Rizzo pep talk, and now he looks exactly as advertised. How quickly do you count on him for big, important outs in this Yankee bullpen? And I guess does the fact that the bullpen is so deep change that calculus at all? Because there really are a lot of guys out there I trust. There's almost yeah. no one I don't trust. Yeah, I mean, I think that once again, uh, I, I wouldn't. I, I'd be buying stock right now uh, for him to be a future piece to the bullpen. I think he's going to be. Um, I think he's going to be an asset for us to ha- do a combination of things. It's going to be a combination of eating innings, and it's going to be a combination of um, coming in during higher leverage situations earlier in the game. Um, when, when a start doesn't go as planned or if there's an injury or whatever it may be, um, there are too many guys on the back end in the back end of this bullpen for Marinaccio to actually steal legitimate high leverage reps, probably between inning six through nine, unless the bullpen is exhausted or overworked. Um, people forget about Lucas Licky, man, still, still can do it. He was trade some, somehow rumored to be traded this off season when he's making no money. He's under team control. Like, why would the Yankees ever do that? That's that a player. Devers. Yeah, that yeah. Devers at bat. I mean, holy Christ. Yeah. He made Devers look like Aaron Hicks. Yeah. Um, and like you said, that's the move that the Yankees would make. They would steal that kind of pitcher from somebody else who either wasn't utilizing him properly or just didn't have didn't have the the capacity for that type of role on their team because they're not contending or they needed help right. elsewhere. Um, you got Miguel Castro who came in twice and looked pretty good. Uh, Chapman has been looking great. Um, Chad Green was nasty in his two appearances. Loisaga, same old nastiness. Um, Wandy, Wandy's pretty damn good, dude. Um, another great trade from Brian Cashman. Unfortunately, the trades that he, I wish he would just make, I feel like the trades that he makes are always great for, you know, inserting these little building blocks, but it's never just like, can we get a big, 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 nice one where we don't have to worry? 
we don't have to do a Donaldson creative deal. Can we do something else? Can we get another acquisition? I don't know. He's good at making the the trades around the edges and stealing the uh, un, uh, undiscovered or unexpected talent elsewhere. Um, and that's and look, you got Clark Schmidt last night. Pretty pretty good outing. Gives up that home run to Dalbeck. Another one. What are you gonna do? I mean, so there's way too many people in this bullpen for Marinaccio to actually, I think, become a prominent figure. Um, but hey, all it's going to take is an injury. All it's going to take is an IL stint. All it's going to take is uh, maybe a trade um, or uh, people being overworked. Last year, people being overworked was a big problem. Um, and then the Yankees, who they they had Brooks Krisky for a while, did not work out. Those are not the innings it, you would you would have liked if Brooks Krisky looked like Ron Marinaccio last year. I would have enjoyed. Mean, I would have enjoyed that. Yes. Or even a, a te- or even a half of Ron Marinaccio last year. So I think he's going to have this role where he is doing things. I mean, assuming this goes well, it's one outing, one inning. Look good. It w- it was high pressure though, so you got to give it to the guy. Um, Which half of Brooks Krisky though? Like the arm, two arms, or like the wrong arm. I don't know. It's it's worth worth thinking. Probably just the lower body. Yeah, Brooks Brooks's torso and one leg. (laughs) Um. So yeah, I mean, I like I like I like Ron's future. I I'm not buying any stock on immediate impact for you know overtaking a role right now. But he's going to be valuable coming in and out as the year goes on. We're going to learn a lot about these guys very quickly because um, if it wasn't evident already entering the season, nobody's stretched out and that's okay. I understand why, but Garrett Cole going 65 pitches, could he have pushed it, you know, maybe another 10, but you're basically at that limit. Severino hasn't pitched in two, three, seven years. Like he's not getting much further than that. Jordan Montgomery, obviously a little bit exacerbated by getting drilled in the leg by a line drive on the baseball diamond, but He's topping out at four innings. Maybe he could have gotten five with a super efficient outing, but not really. So I'm surprised we haven't seen J.P. Sears yet. We've seen everybody, but we saw Schmidt yesterday. He was very good. Um, for the first time in his big league career, he was very good, uh, and he got tagged with a loss. So that's a bummer. Um, Aaron Hicks's fault. Aaron Hicks is uh, so far so not great. Um, and so that takes us to the, the bummers, the two bummers. Um, nobody is rooting against Aaron Hicks and Joey Gallo. Right? No. And if you are, then you're not a Yankee fan. Because these are the guys on the roster. You can talk about how you'd rather they upgraded elsewhere. You can talk about whatever you yeah. want. These these guys are on the roster. So if you're rooting against Joey Gallo and Aaron Hicks, just so you can go, see, I told you, I know more. I know more. I am very <laughs> smart. Like, great. Th- this isn't for you. Um, you know, you're not in the industry. You're just the guy talking. Um, and that's great. I, if that's what you need to feel fulfilled, yeah, man, I hope our team fails. <laughs> like, if that's what you need to feel fulfilled, that's great. Um, Aaron Hicks so far, the optics of Sunday night were brutal. Again, turned a 3-0 count clear, and patience is his thing. He turned it into a pop-out to basically ruin an inning. And then the only thing you can't do with the bases loaded in one out and speed at your disposal is a double play, and he ground into a double play. Lined a single earlier in the game. That would have been helpful if the bases loaded and one out. That would have been helpful in any other situation. Uh, he's got two hits and a walk, I believe, so far this year. Again, could be worse. And, and he didn't play on uh, – he didn't start on Saturday. Um, the, the issue here is that he's just so obviously the odd man out at this point. Yeah. Um, but I don't think he will be as much as he should be. The, the big man outfield should play five days a week. It won't. 
And then Glaber and uh, IKF and Donaldson and DJ LeMay, who should also all play. Um, I'd like to see Isaiah Counter-Falefa at third. I don't think that's possible because I don't want to see Glaber Torres at short. But it would be interesting. Again, I won't see it. Maybe Marlon Gonzalez at short and Counter-Falefa at third. Just spitballing here. Aw, you didn't have to go so all out for my birthday. Yes, we did. Because birthdays are about showing your friends how much you care for them and how grateful you are for their... This is Jamie from Progressive. No, this is a great time. Progressive protects you 24-7. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry that happened. <clears throat> Jamie. Can you hold on one second? Uh, I gotta take this call. But remember, birthdays are about togetherness. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Covered subject to policy terms. The Yankees' best lineup for now, not forever, does not include Aaron Hicks, and yet we've gotten him two out of three games in a row, and the optics of Sunday night were terrible. Joey Gallo, um, <clears throat> there was a great River Avenue Blues tweet today that was basically like, Joey Gallo's one for ten this season, and he's been really unlucky, but the best version of Joey Gallo would be two for ten this season, because that's how he operates. He hits 200. He hits 220. Mm-hmm. He goes on heaters, sure. There's a chance that there will be a 10 at-bat sequence this year where he goes 5 for 10 with two bombs. I would say it's likely. But enough is enough with the whole Joey Gallo is getting unlucky thing. He has the second highest unluck factor in baseball behind Matt Veerling. But, like, Matt Veerling sucks. (laughs) So, uh, you know, uh, these stats only go so far in painting the picture for me. I understand Joey Gallo hits the ball hard, but... Uh, if a player is unlucky for their entire career and they underperform expected metrics because they hit hard outs, then they're not unlucky. They just hit a lot of hard outs and people have learned how to shift for them. Joey Gallo strikes out a ton so far this season. I mean, the one rocket he hit yesterday um, with two men on, I couldn't believe wasn't a home run. It like broke my brain. It died like 30 yeah. feet before the warning track. Um, and it's like the only ball at that velocity and that angle to not be a hit which, again, I, I still don't know how that happened. But the other, there's a video circulating of the five hard-hit balls he's hit already this year. One of them was a rip off the wall, and the other four were outs. That line drive notwithstanding, one of them is a pop-out, where he just rips yeah. at the ball and gets under it and hits it 103 miles an hour. Yeah, that's not, that's not exit velocity. Yeah. yeah, which does absolutely nothing for me and tells me more about his failings as a player than the fact that he is unlucky. Because that was a cement mixer slider of some kind that he could have tattooed and instead got way, 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 way under uh, because he's somewhat of a, you know, launch angle king and looped it directly to a fielder. And and the miles an hour and the velo did absolutely nothing. So Joey Gallo is going to frustrate a lot of people Mm -hmm. even when he's at his best. But that's why when he's at his worst, I really don't need to hear the explanation on the exit velocities. At this point, I know that more exit velocity is likely to breed more success, but I also know what Joey Gallo at his peak looks like. And it's a ball player that's going to make a lot of people very angry. He will go on heaters. He will get better than this. At some point, some of these line drives will find the right spot, but not as many of them as should find the right spot. And that's going to be how it is. Yeah. I, I agree. And and the two things he he seems to me he has like Gary Sanchez disease from last year where he's missing these center cut fastballs slash he's not being aggressive early in the count slash then it gets to later in the count and then he's just looking for balls. Um, and I hate when batters do that when it's like three one or 
when it's three one and you're just like, I'm not swinging. I'm going to bank that he walks me. And it's, it's very annoying. And then his, and, and then his single in uh, on Saturday, he hit it really hard. It was a great, it was a great piece of hitting. He ripped it off the wall and he's walking out of the batter's box, watching the ball. And then he tries to go to second and gets thrown out by a mile. So it's like, we can't be, you got to either bust it out of the box or you can't go to second. So it, it doesn't, it's not even about just like, oh, what's his exit velocity? Oh, it's not as good as everybody says it is. Or, oh, what's his launch angle? Or, oh, what's his player profile? Can we dive into this deeper? It's like, tried to make a diving play in left field and missed it really awfully. Like mm. Alex Verdugo made four of those plays this weekend. Joey Gallo couldn't make the one that went his way. Um, and I'm not saying that that's his fault. I think it's the Yankees' fault for acquiring a guy who's better in center field and right field than he is in left field. Um, but yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, Joey Gallo is what he is. Um, I don't need, I don't need anybody trying to explain to me metrics that I don't care about or don't need to read any further into because it's not going to tell me any story that I don't already know. Um, Joey Gallo either hits a home run walks or strikes out. Um, he is the prototypical example of that. Um, and it's even more concerning because he's not able to do that in a in the best lineup he's ever been in in his entire life. There has not been a Texas Rangers team that was close to the production that this Yankees roster um, can uh, the, the output that they can put on the field. So that's also where a lot of the frustration lies. Yes, we know who Joey Gallo is. We know his player profile is very similar to kind of the a lot of the other players, a lot of the other hitters on this roster. But the fact that I know we're only three games in. I'm not indicting Joey Gallo on anything, but the same things that were happening last year are happening in the early going. And if that trend continues, it's going to be another ugly season from Joey Gallo. Um, it's even more concerning that there are lapses on defense. There are lapses in awareness and there's a lack of success despite being batting after Giancarlo Stanton and before uh, who was hitting six last night, Gleyber Torres. Yeah, he, um, he's so, been doing some LeMahieu splitting too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just like you're you're not getting John Carlos Stanton's argue, arguably the best home run hitter in the game, like on a year to year basis since like uh, dating back to when. Um, so you're getting that protection already, and there's still there's still the same things we were seeing last year. And yeah, you're right. Joey Gallo is going to get unlucky, just like the rest of baseball. Base, it's already hard enough to hit pitches. It's already hard enough to, be, to, to beat defensive shifts. So the excuse for Joey Gallo getting unlucky doesn't hold any water for me because now everybody else is dealing with the same problems. And it just so happens that Joey Gallo's abilities fall right in line with how teams can defend him. And that's they're able to better defend him. So bad luck for him that the shift gets banned next year, but he's also not getting hits outside of the shift so it doesn't even matter and even if he the hits that he's pulling are outs regardless if there's a shift or not based on what we've already seen that over the course of time yes of course he's going to get robbed of hits but um the profile there it is what it is and Aaron Hicks Aaron Hicks is Aaron Hicks guys good for Aaron Hicks on getting paid this is the Yankees fault um we can get angry at Aaron Hicks all we want you can get mad about Aaron Hicks you could want Brett Gardner to be a Yankee again um the Yankees decided to jump the gun here. Aaron Hicks had injury issues. He had durability issues. He had one really good all-around season in 2018. Um, and then the Yankees decided to invest seven years in that. Um, 
and he was in his late twenties. I don't know what, I don't know where the thought process came from with that. I don't know who advised Brian Cashman on that, or if this was his doing, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, this is it. We're halfway through the contract guys. It's through 2025. Um, but also to get mad at Joey Gallo for a slow start is idiotic to get mad at Aaron Hicks for being out consecutive years to Tommy John surgery or almost consecutive years. Cause 2020 was 50 games, Tommy John surgery in 2019. And then the wrist sheath surgery last year, um, which is, Two things that are well known to affect a player's hitting and the wrist one, specifically a player's power, um, is it's not you're not going to see a turnaround in three games. You're not going to see you might not see a turnaround in 30 games. Um, So I know Aaron Aaron Hicks put himself in a bit of a hole saying he's going for 30 30 this year. Um, I can assure you that's not happening. He couldn't even come close to beating out that double play hitting from the left side of the box and it being a weak ground ball to second base. Um, so I don't, I, I commend the man for having confidence in himself because that's what you need as a baseball player. You need to constantly be confident day in and day out, keep the same mentality to, you know, avoid these prolonged slumps and, and to avoid, uh, and to block out the constant criticism that's going to come to you. But Yankees fans, like if you're saying Aaron Hicks is ruining your life in game three, when we're going for a sweep and the Red Sox have their backs against the wall about to shit their pants, losing the the, the first three games of the season at Yankee Stadium. Like, come on. I, I love getting mad at this team more than anybody, but let's let's wait a fucking month. Uh, hey, this Sunday night was an insufferable place to be on Twitter. I, I was yeah. like trying to sleep through it. I was like, I was so mad I couldn't find something else to watch. I love baseball. Baseball is great. But just Sunday night baseball, high probability of a loss. Just because a letdown is necessary, like very likely, if the Yankees had won that series, I mean they did. If the Yankees had swept that series, then then great. But I didn't anticipate it, and I didn't want to be a part of the cesspool. But I also couldn't pull myself away, so I watched. That was not a devastating loss. It was a frustrating loss. You'd rather win, but to you know, we've seen so much terrible baseball in recent years from teams that have eventually gone ninety-two and seventy and made the playoffs. So, like, I didn't see a single thing from this weekend where I was like, yup, doomed, bad, dead. Like, and and you have to really be stretching the truth to have found that. Now, that being said, anyone who calls DJ LeMahieu a ground ball merchant and doesn't come for Aaron Hicks is extremely misplaced. He's just drilling the ball into the ground right now. And that's partially shaking off the rust. It's partially the wrist, probably. It certainly saps your power. We have been told this but he's not lifting and separating in the way that he should. The opposite field single was nice, but need more of that. And then I am so done. I love exit velocity. I love advanced stats. Expected batting average is really bumming me out. Yeah. If it were. (sighs) It's just like shifts. Shifts are so prevalent nowadays that no one's expected batting average equates at all to what they're putting up because people are smart enough to know where to put fielders. So Joey Gallo's, you know, the directionality of where he's hitting the baseball and the velocity with which he's hitting it is all great. But at this point, it doesn't equate anywhere near what his expected batting average would be because it doesn't take into context what's on the field in front of him. So he will never hit that mark and no one will. And so if you're going to be like his expected batting average was 312, but his real one was 262. It's like no hitting coach is going to unlock that. No hitting coach is going to teach you to hit it five miles an hour harder and through someone's glove. No hitting coach is going to teach you like, yeah, um, I made the fielder go away. So now you have all this space to work with. Like, 
I'm sick of that. It tells you only so much about a player's story and, and you know, no more of that. I just want to see, I want to see the Joey Gallo we were promised, which again, isn't even that great. It's like 220 with 40 bombs. Let's, let's get close to that instead of citing behind the scenes park factors and, and XBA and stuff. Let, let's just see Joey Gallo, the decent to very good to all-star potential player who, who we were sold. That's it. Uh, until then, he's just another in a long line of guys. I know what Joey Gallo has been. I know what he is right now. That's it. You don't need to tell me he's good. He, he might have been good. He's been bad since joining the Yankees. A lot of people are terrible with the Yankees. I'm hoping he's not one of them. But you don't uh, yeah. need to tell me. You don't need to tell me he was good at some point. I know. Yeah. I, I mean, and it, you have to take into account the differences in expectations and the differences in teams. The Texas Rangers have been bad for a while. The Yankees have a great spotlight, so it's easier. It's I'm not saying he's incapable of performing under a greater spotlight. I'm saying the change is certainly a thing. Um, also, historically, Joey Gallo is not good with hitting with runners in scoring position or delivering in high-leverage situations. You could look at the splits. They all exist. I know batting average isn't a thing for everybody, but if you're hitting 182 with runners in, score, with, you know, in, with runners in scoring position in two outs, that's not good. Hitting 200 with runners in scoring position for his career, high leverage situations, 173 with a 699 OPS. Um, you know the on base with runners in scoring position doesn't really matter to me because if you have runners on first, uh, if you have runners on, if you have a runner on second and you walk, all that does is just yeah, great, you get another base runner, but it puts a double play in play. Or runners in second and third, you want to put the ball in play there. You don't want to if there's one out or or whatever you don't want to you don't want to put a threat to get two more outs in with one swing of a bat you have joey gallo at the plate you're expecting somebody to push runs across and if theoretically he's your best hitter on the texas rangers that, that you should probably see more production from from him in in that regard um and there's there's really not much of it a lot of strikeouts um once again you can go see it for yourself it's all right there on baseball reference so um it is what it is. That that's that's all we're trying to say. Nothing. There's no. There's there's nothing else that's going to tell us a greater story than we already already need to know. Joey Cal has been in the league for like this is his sixth or seventh year. Like there's enough there's enough evidence here to know what we have to deal with. Um and a lot yeah a lot of that production is going to come when you know Yankees are up seven to one, three run homer to make it ten one or it, it's it's going to be a lot of that and then you're gonna you're gonna see the stretches and. Of the high, you saw the high leverage at bat last night. Two outs, need a run, need a, need a home run. He's a home run specialist down in three pitches or four pitches or whatever it was, and it was mm-hmm. a very non-competitive at bat. Um, and you've seen – we already seen that a lot. You've, uh, Rangers fans, come on in the chat. Let us know. I don't know how often you saw that, but we've seen a lot of it over 60 games, um, and I just don't think that there's going to be some great narrative uh, narrative flip here. It's not going to happen. Well, let's talk about the guy we got who does the job. Let's let's yeah. end this with Giancarlo Stanton praise. Six homers in six games against the Red Sox dating back to last season. Unfortunately, could not come through with a seventh on Sunday, but it does feel extremely empty and shallow to be like, where's the seventh? It's okay. <laughs> I don't need the seventh. Uh, Stanton changed the game uh, like he did in the season-ending series in Boston last year and in the wild-card game when he – if it was in New York, would have had three bombs. Uh, if Matt Vasgersian ruled the world, he would have had at least two. Uh, and John Sterling. But first game, classic Stanton shot, low liner over the right field wall, only a home run at Yankee Stadium. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. Uh, tied the game. Second game, 
monster shot to take the 4-2 lead in the sixth inning. Ultimately, the difference in the game, nobody scored ever again after that. And we got the Dennis Eckersley reaction, the all-timer, uh, when Nick Pavetta surrendered the home run. He told Nick Pavetta to throw a slider. He goes, let's try that slider again. He does. He hangs oh. it and hits it 500 feet. And we get a, oh, from, from Eckersley. The sequel to Eckersley's call of the 2018 wildcard game Aaron Judge home run, which was, no! <laughs> again, that's what you want from the national broadcast. You know, A's, Yankees fans, uh, fans of the other 29 teams in Major League Baseball, they're all tuning in to hear a Red Sox broadcaster go, oh, no, no, this is hell on earth. This is a, it's a neutral broadcast. Um, but Stanton is not only living up to all of the potential. It sounds ridiculous to say that from a former NL MVP, but the 2018 season, he carried the Yankees without Aaron Judge for a while, but 2018 is a black mark in Yankees history because of what the Red Sox did and what the Yankees did in the playoffs, not fully their fault, but still... 2019, he barely played. 2020, he carried them through the postseason, but that season was 60 games long, and he barely played. 2021, he transformed into the Stanton that we knew he could be a Red Sox killer, a Red Sox slaughterer, and clutch more often than not. And so far, so good for the first three games of 2022. He's carried over that Red Sox murdering for sure, but he is on a heater yet again and ripped three singles on Sunday night showing that like, he's just, you're going to throw it in there. He's going to hit it back at you. It's awesome. I've been, you know, I've been waiting for this stretch of this stretch of play from John Carlos Stanton for a while. Um, just because I didn't agree with the trade um, at the beginning, just because I thought we needed more pitching and didn't need to spend, you know, $32 million on a guy who has knee problems and will probably be DHing for a while, but um, Hey, it was good to see him in the field um, for that one game. Um, and yeah, his career numbers against the Red Sox, like this is all you can ask for. Honestly, like it doesn't matter how much money he's getting paid. If this is as a Yankee, if this is what you're doing against the Red Sox, it doesn't really matter what you do elsewhere, unless you're Mm -hmm. the worst player on the planet to ever, to ever step foot on a baseball diamond. John Carlos Santon does a lot more than this production against the Red Sox. 51 games, 12 homers, 33 extra base hits. 37 RBIs, 294 average, 921 OPS. And obviously most of that has come when he was with the Yankees. I think when he was a member of the Marlins, they might have faced the Red Sox a handful of times, if that. NLAL matchups, they don't happen often. Then you got Aaron Judge, on the other hand, 69 games against the Red Sox, 238 batting average, 16 homers, 35 RBIs, 807 OPS, um, 25 extra base hits. So Stanton's production blows Aaron Judge's out of the – and Aaron Judge also has 82 strikeouts against the Red Sox in 69 games. Stanton has 60 in 51 games. Um, so in fewer games, Stanton's numbers are way better, um, and ha- he has more production um, than Aaron Judge does. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful that there is uh, – that Stanton's been here to do this type of stuff because it probably is agonizing for Red Sox fans whenever he comes to the plate at this point because – it's like when, you know, the random replacement player on Boston comes to the plate for us and we're like, great, this guy's going to fucking hit an RBI double, isn't he? He's batting, what, 170 on the year? Um, and that's an annoying enough feeling, but I don't know. It's got to be really annoying to have someone like John Carlos Santon, who you know is capable of hitting the ball a million miles an hour and hitting it 500 feet, to come up to the plate, breaks the all-time record for most consecutive home runs against the Red Sox, including the postseason, past Mickey Mantle's record of five um, over the weekend, 
Um, so I'm glad that he is terrorizing Red Sox fans because Red Sox fans were the ones who love to make fun of that trade, love to make fun of his contract because they care about money. The Red Sox fans love to look at what players are making on an, on an annual basis and grill you for it because apparently that matters. Um, so yeah, Giancarlo Stanton making 30 million a year and whooping your ass. And yeah, I'll pay 30 million a year for Giancarlo Stanton to exclusively whoop the Red Sox's ass every single year. Yeah, I will also do that. I'll chip in some of my own money. I don't care who's paying <laughs> him. Uh, the Stan deal's not as bad as as most think it is. No, now uh, it's normalizing. Now it's fine. It's definitely not hamstringing the Yankees again. We've said it a million times. If it is, they're lying to you. They can let it hamstring them if they want, but they're lying to you. Uh, the judge numbers, very interesting. Not great. That's all I'll say. The, the $36 million man uh, had some foul balls, fouled off some meatball pitches yesterday, but ultimately yep. struck out against Jake Diekman. Um, and it's looked like that more often than not in the clutch against the Red Sox. I love Aaron judge. I'd pay him, but meh, patience is wearing a little bit thin, especially, mm. you know, based on the way this weekend started. It's the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to end this on a sour note though. Stan is a monster and the Yankees won two of these games and a real test comes this week against the Toronto blue Jays. Big four-game set. After that, the schedule gets a lot easier. Although, again, we are Yankee fans. We know that that's not always the actual case. But the Orioles are on there. The the Royals are on there. The Guardians are on there. It's it's not the Red Sox until July. Until July. July? July. And there's not even like a murderer's row stretch in there. There's a seven games in 10 or 11 days against the Sox in the middle of July. But I don't know. I, I liked what I saw from the Yankees. I'm not scared of that at this point. Um, there's only one four game set in Boston and it's not at the end of the year. It's in the middle of the year. It is what it is. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing terribly determinative or, you know, end of season stretch run, uh, change your life. Starting on the right foot. Let's continue. That is it for this Monday edition of the Ace Go Yard podcast. Make sure to find us on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, drop us a five-star review along with a mailbag queue. We would be more then happy to answer. Until next time, I'm Adam Weiner. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weiner. Thomas Carinante, where can the people find you? At Tommy's underscore takes. You can also find us at yanksgoyard.com. Uh, more and more content up there. Uh, we got some overreactions going up tonight. I think that's going to be a fun one. Um, got some Gar- We got some Gary updates for you. Funny, some couple of big highlights from Gary over the weekend. Um Head on over to uh, the Yanks Go Yard official Twitter account as well, at Yanks Go Yard FS. Um, we'll be active on there. Season started. We are ready to go. Um, and until then, folks, we'll talk to you on Thursday. Hopefully we got a couple wins under our belt against Toronto. Um, their pitching has sucked. Their pitching has objectively sucked so, so far. Um, and that's pretty much the best thing we can ask for because if you're getting – you'd rather get into a slugfest with the Blue Jays than, than a pitcher's duel because they, they, they're going to beat you in a pitcher's duel with, that, with the, the deep lineup that they have. I'd rather slug it out with them um, and have their pitching be weak. So hopefully that's the narrative, but we'll be back on, at th- uh, on Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern, live right here. Live right here. We'll see you then. Uh, take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.